uh, we're giving away our first Christmas presents of the year, and that is uh, we're giving them to our cleaning crew here at the church. Uh, they have the folks that clean here at the church have been using some ratty tatty, just pieced together vacuum cleaners. They're in very poor shape, and uh, they all use a different kind of bag, and you never have the right bag you need to to change them out. And they're heavy, and you have to lunk them up the stairs and down. And so they had these on sale this week with all the sales going on. And I asked Brother Randy, called him up, and I said, what do you think about getting these for our cleaning folks here at the church? And he said, Pastor, I think we ought to do it. So I told him I'd put them on the platform and say Merry Christmas <laughs> to those that help out. And I do want to say in saying that, thank you so much, uh, numbers of you that come in throughout the week and help clean and keep our buildings and facilities clean and you don't get recognition for it. And I just want to say as the pastor, thank you so much for your labor in doing that. Uh, it is not taken lightly or for granted. Uh, I certainly appreciate all of you that help out in that uh, capacity. And uh, so anyway, we've got you one for upstairs and one for downstairs. I've got one person that I've already put in charge of keeping them maintained. And they'll make sure that they're emptied all the time and ready to go. So uh, you don't have to worry about emptying them out or any of that kind of stuff, and hopefully that will be a help to you. Um, and uh, they were uh, $96, I think, for both of them, the $42 a piece plus tax or so. If you'd like to help with the cost of them, we went ahead and just did it without a church vote on an amount that small. I figured I could get forgiveness or come up with it myself if the church didn't want to do it. But if you'd like to help with the cost of it, uh, if you just put something in the envelope back there and just mark it vacuum, and drop it in the box back there. They'll make sure that it gets to the right place. But uh, I just want to tell our, our folks that clean around here, uh, you're not forgotten, okay? Uh, I certainly appreciate so much all the work that you guys do and help out. All right, uh, hold your plate. How many of you are at Genesis 3? You all there? Okay. Put your finger there because we're going to go there next, and we're going to turn to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5. And keep your Bibles handy even after we go to Genesis. We've got one other place we'll be this morning. And uh, then looking forward to a great day together. I, for those of you that are here and don't know yet, but we have uh, done a trial of moving our evening service to 1 o'clock in the afternoon while the uh, wintertime is here, while it's dark, getting dark early. And so basically we get out about noon, go eat lunch real quick, and then come back and have our evening service and we're done by usually a little bit before 2 o'clock or right about 2 o'clock uh, for the day. And just want to encourage you, if you're uh, able to make it to the second service, we want to have you come and be a part of that too. Some people stay here and eat lunch uh, downstairs. They bring their lunch from home. Some people run into town and grab a cheeseburger real quick or something and then come back and want to encourage you in that. Uh, Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5, a very familiar passage of Scripture and uh, we're going to look at one verse this morning, and uh, that'll be down in verse number 12, Romans chapter number 5, and verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning, and speak to our hearts, and I pray that over these next several weeks as we focus in and tune in to the wonderful joy and miracle of the Christmas season, uh, Lord, while we understand and realize that more than likely you were probably not born at this time of year, but Lord, the, 
the importance of the time that you were born is not as critical as the fact that you were. Uh, and you were born for a purpose. And Lord, we're thankful for that today and pray that you would help us over the next several weeks as we focus in on this topic, that you would help us to understand and those of us that are saved, that it will be an encouragement and a blessing to us, that it will strengthen our faith. For those that are not saved, Lord, I pray that it would be something that would uh, bring conviction to their heart and help them to see that need of a Savior. Lord, I pray that you would bless all that we say and do here the rest of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Paul writes here, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. We uh, put a slide up on the screen today, and we'll probably have it up there for the next several weeks leading up to Christmas, called The Miracle of Christmas. And I got to thinking about that topic this week as I was thinking of some messages to preach leading up to and including Christmas. And I thought, you know, we, we oftentimes know the story of Christ, and if we're saved, we rejoice in it, and we all know the meaning of Christmas. But I wonder how often we contemplate and we think and we mull over the idea that the very fact of the whole, the whole Christmas season is a miracle. It's something that could never have been done by man's effort. But it had to be a supernatural act of an almighty God. We get here in the book of Romans, and Paul is very, very clear about the fact that sin came into the world by one man, and that because of that one man's sin, it was passed down to mankind. And all of us have sinned. We don't, uh, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're born with a sinful nature. And I, I uh, certainly understand, and one uh, fellow asked me here recently about uh, folks that are infants and newborns, and the Bible speaks very clearly in Hebrews chapter 5, and I was doing some thinking on this uh, about a week or so ago, uh, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter number 5, it speaks about the fact that uh, we're to have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil, and we cannot understand or discern that without the law of God. The law was our schoolmaster. And so there's an accountability, there's a time that comes in our lives where we understand that there is a moral law given by an almighty God uh, that we find in Scripture, that there are, stand, there, are, there are things that God commands in Scripture. And uh, usually we start out teaching our kids in Sunday school about the Ten Commandments. But there's so much more to God's moral law than just the Ten Commandments. But at the age that a young person finally realizes there's a moral law by an almighty God that is something that they violate and it's something that they've done as sin and they come to the understanding of that, then that person is then responsible to receive the the free gift of salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And up until that time, the Bible is very clear and teaches that they're not held accountable for it. And uh, there are times that infants have passed away that will be in heaven one day. And uh, they are there because they never reached that age of accountability, of understanding and knowing God's moral law. But we read here about one man, and we all understand the story of Adam and Eve. We're going to take a moment to look at that this morning, of where all this happened, where it started. Understand that God did not create us to have to be saved. God created us perfect and gave us a law. In fact, gave Adam and Eve just one rule. Could you imagine just having one rule to follow? Teenagers all around the room are saying, boy, I wish mom and dad would be that way. Just one rule, and that was they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, now and flip back to Genesis chapter number 3. And I want us to look at what took place all these years ago because This act in Genesis chapter number 3 was the beginning 
of the need of the miracle of Christmas. This is where it all started. And yet the Bible says that the, the Lord was slain even before the foundations of the earth. God understood in His foreknowledge and knew. And you asked me to explain why He would then create a world knowing that man was going to fall. And knowing that He was going to have to send His own Son to die on the cross. I can't do that. I, I don't understand it. There are things that are too high for us to understand. And yet that's exactly what He did. He makes Adam and Eve, he places them in the Garden of Eden. In chapter number 3, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit therewith, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I want us to look, look at verse number 6 because there's an awful lot found here that I think is very, very important that we understand as Christians the tactics that Satan uses. And in all the years of him trying to get people to defy God and to rebel against God and to sin against God, Satan in all of these years has really not changed his tactics all that much. He still tries the exact same practice and procedure of trying to get you and I to fall in the sin and to do things contrary to what God would have us to do. But look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And when the woman, what's the next word here? Saul. When she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, then she took of the fruit thereof. And can I tell you this? Satan uses two things to get people to sin. My kids and I were talking the other day about temptation and how that God does not tempt any man. There are times that he allows Satan to bring temptation into our lives for a period of testing but the idea that Satan uses the same tactic ought to help us to defend against it. Ought to help us to understand it and recognize it when it comes across our way. And the first thing that Satan does is he entices us. He entices us. He, he hangs it out in front of us and tries to get us to do something that uh, we know is going to hurt us and know that's going to be contrary to what God has us to do. And by the way, that's, that's what the world has followed after, haven't they? Ever since the television was, uh, was uh, invented, uh, people have learned that marketing is a major thing visually. Uh, there are two gates of our senses that this goes through, and that is the gate of the eye and seeing, and the gate of the ear and hearing. And those are the two senses that usually Satan tries to get to, uh, to entice us, to get us to do something that's wrong. In fact, the Bible talks about Lot... Uh, who set his eyes towards the well-watered plains of Sodom and eventually ended up in Sodom. Uh, it said that he was a just man and said that this just lot in seeing and in hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day. 
for seeing things that were enticing to him and hearing things that were enticing to him, over time he uh, became very calloused and very uh, apathetic towards the things that were wrong and towards the things that were sinful. And so Satan comes to Eve and he starts off by talking to her about this wonderful tree. And the Bible says here in verse number 6 that when she saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Enticement. Trying to get her to want something so bad that she's willing to defy the law of God to accomplish it. Before we're too critical of Eve, I want to point out that Satan uses the same process in my life and in your life. And the truth of the matter is this, that when we are tempted of Satan in our lives, almost always, without exception, he begins with enticement, doesn't he? He causes us to look at sin and think it's really not all that bad. Uh, We look at sin and we start thinking it, it really would be a little bit of fun even maybe to do that. It would be enjoyable The Bible talks in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11 about Moses and the choice that he had to make. And it said that he chose rather to suffer the affliction of his own people than to to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, the Bible refers to it. The pleasures of sin for a season. Satan always makes sin look good, doesn't he? He always tries to make it look like it's not going to hurt us. He tries to make it look like it's going to benefit us in some way. And he does it through several methods. Let's look in verse number 6 as he starts off here. And the, she starts off talking about this. The Bible says that when the, tree, when, she, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and we find here this is the lust of the flesh. It would fill her belly. The Bible talks about all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Does it not? It talks about those three things. We find here at the very first part of verse number 6, The lust of the flesh is coming into play here. A tree that is good for food, boy, it's going to taste good. This is a good time to be talking about this, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Amen? I'll tell you what, how many of you had something this week that tasted good? It was real, boy, I'll tell you, you didn't need it, but boy, it sure tasted good, didn't it? And it was appealing, and we could say we were enticed to it because it tasted good. The lust of the flesh. I want you to notice also in verse number six that it was a tree to be desired. I'm sorry, that it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good. This is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then I want you to notice also a tree to be desired to make one wise. The pride of life. I want to be wise. I want to be wiser than those around me. The pride of life. Satan is shrewd, isn't he? I don't know how many times I read verse number 6 and never saw the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life being pushed on Eve by the serpent. And yet it's there, isn't it? She begins to see this thing and she begins to question it. And Satan tries to entice, doesn't he? And when their enticement does not work, he resorts to another tactic. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know that his enticement didn't work here? Because he only enticed Eve didn't he? The Bible says that Eve was deceived by the serpent. But Adam was not enticed. There was something different that happened with Adam. Look with me, if you will. The Bible says in uh, verse number 6, She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her. 
and he did eat. You say, well, how do you know Adam wasn't enticed? Because it doesn't talk about Adam seeing the fruit as something that was good to eat and pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. This is something Eve saw. What took place here, I believe, is that here standing Adam right next to his wife, he's already told her what God has said and that they're not to eat of this tree. And Eve goes ahead and eats of it. I'm not sure if she discussed it with her husband at all. I think she just saw these things, thought about them in her own mind, and took a big old bite of it. Now Adam is put on the spot, isn't he? His wife ate of it. She's already disobeyed God. And now comes the second tactic of Satan, and that is peer pressure. Pressure. Trying to get us to conform to what others are doing. And by the way, it's not just for young people. I used to preach this to teenagers a lot about the peer pressure. The idea that Satan uses peer pressure to get us to sin. But can I tell you this? That it happens in adults just as easily as it happens in young people. You and I are just as susceptible to a friend or an acquaintance or a family member that will cause us to, to, to go into things and to do things that we know are contrary to the Word of God simply because we are being pressured by them to do it. See, brother, why is this all important? Because because of this situation right here, the miracle of Christmas had to happen. Because of this situation right here, the Bible says that because of this man's sin, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, brother Greg, we're at Keith Heights Baptist Church. We're we're raised in church. We're Baptists. We know these things. But can I tell you this? there still sits in the pews of many Baptist churches, many folks who have a head knowledge and understand things but have never trusted Christ as their Savior. On top of that, there are those that sit in the pews of our churches many times as Christians that have their salvation sealed under the day of redemption. They put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they go about living their life not thinking that sin is all that important, that sin has lost its sinfulness. You say, why is this all important? Because of this situation that we find in chapter number 3 of the book of Genesis. My Savior had to go to Calvary. My Savior had to suffer. And my Savior had to die. Because of this little thing right here. The fact that Adam and Eve could not withstand the enticement of Satan and the pressure of Satan. And then we go through our life and we don't think sin is all that bad. And then we go through our life and we don't think very much about what God has done for us. So we're grateful that we're saved and we'll give God a token of our time and gratitude for Him. And, and, you know, we, can, we kind of come up and... <clears throat> I, let me put it this way. Usually on... Thanksgivings and Christmases, special times of the year, I'll go through my phone and I'll look up names of people I have in my contact list that I haven't heard from in a while and I haven't talked to in a while. And I'll usually send a type of greeting to them saying Happy Thanksgiving or Happy Christmas and a word or two of encouragement. A lot of times I'll say I love you and miss you. But the truth of the matter is I hadn't talked to them in a year. Hadn't talked to him in a year. I texted one person like that just recently. 
got a text back and said, no, you don't. <laughs> I said, I love you. And he said, no, you don't. And I was convicted by that. Because that's what we do with God a lot. We say, God, I love you. And then we go on with our life as if he doesn't even matter. As if really he didn't do a whole lot for us. But because of something as simple as my human nature. Something as simple as being enticed. My Savior had to go to Calvary and die. And folks, that's a lot. That's a high price to pay for my sin. Why in the world would it not be a miracle? Why would we not look at it as such? And why would we not rejoice in it every day of our lives to realize that there was a miracle that happened the day that God decided He was going to pay our sin debt for us? Oh, that we could see it for the miracle that it is. Take your Bibles, if you will. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter number 9. I want to show you something here that I, I, I love this. I, I've been over it several times in my life. I've read it numerous times. And it struck me one day in reading this. Matthew, chapter number 9. Verse number 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, and by the way, there's a lot to be said for the friends that brought this man to Jesus. I'm not going to preach a message on it, but can I encourage you in this? We ought to be friends that bring men to Jesus. Because of their faith, this man was getting ready to have a miracle happen. The Bible says that seeing their faith said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Oh, wow. What an amazing God. What an amazing Savior. The great miracle of Matthew chapter 9 is not that in a few verses this man's going to rise up from his bed healed. The great miracle of Matthew 9 is that God forgave him of his sin. I don't know this. God knows, and, and maybe this was something he had planned out all from the beginning. But I'll tell you what I think. I really think that if there had not been something else take place here, that Jesus would have gone on and left the man unhealed from his physical infirmity, but healed in his sinful soul. I believe Christ would have gone on because the great miracle had been done. The one that the man was in need of had been done. We find here, as he goes on to say in verse number 3, Behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. He said, Which one's easier? 
Can I tell you this? The great miracle was that his sins were forgiven. The miracle of Christmas. The miracle of why Christ came to this earth so that he could forgive us of our sins. It wasn't even to give us a home in heaven for all of eternity. It was just to forgive us of our sins. The fact that we get a home in heaven is because of his grace. But his mercy is what we needed. His grace was just a bonus. Oh, it was such a joy. He came to earth so that you and I could be saved, redeemed from our sins, forgiven. Because of all that we had done for Him and all that we deserved from Him, He did this, didn't He? No. Because we didn't deserve any of it, did we? He did it simply because He loved us. That was it. The only reason He came to this earth and provided the miracle of Christmas was because He loved me and because He loved you. And we didn't even love Him at the time. That's pretty extraordinary. The Bible says here in verse number 9, For whither it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. He says this, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then, saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. Not until then. He did it for one reason. He healed the man from his physical problem for the sake of the scribes. He did it for the sake of the unbelievers. But the big miracle had already been done, hadn't it? The miracle that was accomplished because this man had need of it had already been done. You say, but Brother Greg, this man was, was lame. He was in bed. He couldn't get out of his bed. But he was living, wasn't he? He was getting along. Oh, it would have been nice to have been physically healed, but that really wasn't his need, was it? His need was that he needed forgiveness of sins. It's amazing to me how many times I come across people that during moments of grief, they turn to God. God, I need you. I need you to calm my heart. I need you to help me through this valley that I'm going through. But they don't recognize their real need. Their real need is they need a Savior to perform a miracle in their hearts and in their lives of forgiving them of their sin. There are people that go to church, I believe, on a regular basis That while they know a lot about God, they don't know God. While they know a lot about the Savior, they really are not walking with Him. They don't know Him well. I mean, we, we go through life as if God has not done much for us. We live our life as though He's an inconvenience that occasionally we have to give Him a little bit of our time and our resources. 
not realizing that for this cause, for the simple cause of our sinful condition, He bled and died in our place. Folks, we owe Him a great debt. The truth is we can never repay it. And we ought never try to repay it out of obligation. But oh, we ought to do everything we can because we love Him. What has God done for you? We just came through the Thanksgiving holidays. Boy, we we had a great time last Sunday preaching of His mercy that endureth forever. That God is good. And all we rejoiced in that. And this Sunday we're looking at the cause and the reason, the purpose of Christmas. The great miracle that Christ did began all the way back in Genesis 3. Because man had a need of forgiveness of sin. And you can look at it and you can say, well, being born of a virgin was a great miracle. And it was. You can say, well, his living a perfect life was a miracle, and it was. You can say his ministry here on earth was a great miracle, and it was. His death, his burial, his resurrection, a great miracle. His ascension, a great miracle. Him coming again one day to get us and take us to heaven, a great miracle. But the greatest miracle of Christmas... Is forgiveness of sin. The question this morning is, have you been saved? You say, Brother Greg, you're talking to the Sunday morning crowd here at Keith Heights. You know, it's possible to sit in the pews of a church and not know Christ as your Savior. And the question this morning is, are you saved? And secondly, if you are saying, yes, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I've gotten that settled a long time ago. I know that I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I ask you this question? Are you and I obeying the great commandment of Scripture? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word and pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, we're going to be looking at different aspects of this Christmas story over the next several weeks. But the truth is, it began all here. The plan that you had from the creation of the earth, the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, required that there be an absolute miracle. Something that could only happen by a supernatural God. Not something that a man could ever do or earn or build or resolve. But Lord, it had to be you. It had to be you. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that does not know you as their Savior, if there's something inside of them that's missing, they just don't understand why life is the way it is. They come to church, they're very religious minded, but the truth is they've never put their faith in you and you alone. And Lord, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Father, if there are Christians here today that have grown cold, apathetic, they are wrapped up in their own life, they give you very little thought at best, then Lord, I pray that you would help today to be a day of revival in their heart and in their soul. 
that they would rejoice in this wonderful miracle. Our sins have been forgiven of us. That we would love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Lord, I pray that you bless the invitation time and Lord use it as you would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together, would you, with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around. If God has spoken to your heart, would you come this morning? Several have come. Perhaps there would be others. Thank you, me. Lift your heads. We're going to be dismissed in just a moment. And visitors, thank you for being with us. Miss Carla, thank you for being here today. And uh, certainly.